We're continuing to work our way through the beginning of Genesis, and so we're in chapter 3 this morning, and we'll be focusing in on on the serpent in, in the fall. There's lots of things we could talk about and hear about and understand uh, about what happened in the garden. Um, but I think it's important for us to see that uh, Satan, in the form of a serpent, um, proved himself to be what Jesus called him later as the, the father of lies. And that he did this through the form of, first through the form of a question. So I'm going to read to us um, the first seven verses of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's pray that God would bless us this morning. Father, we pray that your word would be helpful and true to us this morning, and that you would guide us into it. In Christ's good name, amen. Questions are very strange things. You know, the old adage, there is no, no such thing as a bad question. It's just simply not true. Uh, there are lots of really bad questions. Uh, the first question recorded in the Bible is the worst question And it is bad in every single way. Even though you could ask the same exact question and not be bad. You could ask the question, did did God really say that? And you could be innocent, just wondering, "Is is that true? Did God say that? And the thing is, words have meaning in context. Right, so, And they have meaning because of the motive behind them. The motive that Satan had in the serpent was not good. And we see that when Eve answers the question, did God really say that? And Eve tells him an okay summary of what God had told them in the garden. And he goes, oh, that's not true. That's just not true. That he reveals his motive. But by this point, Eve has been taken in and has been trapped by him. And his his cunning, his craftiness has overwhelmed her. And Satan is very good at this sort of thing. He's constantly, constantly um, asking questions with intent. Um, As Brian would say, leading the witness. He's taking the witness somewhere that is not good. And the thing that 
I want us to get through this morning is that we have this same thing going on with Satan, but also with ourselves. There's this really disturbing thing that is true, and yet it's very disturbing to think of. It's the fact that there are two fathers. There's God the Father and Satan. And Jesus says, Satan is your father, basically, if you're outside of God the Father. You either have Satan as a father, or you have God the Father as your father. And Satan is the father of lies. And one of the things that's true about all non-Christians is that we lie. They lie. And one of the things that remains true of us when we become God's children is that our old nature still exists. And there's lots of different ways of thinking about this. Uh, But we are putting to death what God has already killed our entire lives. And that's our old self, our old sin nature. And because our father before Christ was the father of lies, part of that nature is lying. And we're not necessarily super ostentatious about this, right? We've learned through the years to be very good at covering our tracks with lies by asking questions. And that's really what Satan does a lot, is he asks questions. And we think we're very slick about it. So I'm going to walk you through some examples in Scripture of liars, either those who are in God or those who are outside of God. And the difference between godly questions and worldly questions and how this thing that happened in the garden still happens all the time. So one of the first questions that happens after this event, um, so you have several questions that God asks in a moment, but after the fall and Adam and Eve are cast out and the curses come, then Cain and Abel are born, right? Cain and Abel, um, brothers, they make sacrifices, and uh, God has no regard for Cain's sacrifice, but he regards Abel's sacrifice. And then after Cain had killed Abel, so Cain says, Abel, why don't you come with me in the field? And Cain rises up and kills his brother. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain said, "I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And again, you could say that same question innocently. Someone could ask me, Joe, where's your brother Justin today? And I would go, I don't know. I don't keep track of my brother. I mean, he's his own guy. He's got his own family. He's got his own stuff. I don't know what he's doing today. And it could be very innocent, right? But we all know, because we know the story and we know that Cain had just killed his brother, that the question was not an innocent question. It was a diverting question. It was a, an attempt to relieve Cain of the situation. It was a lie in the form of a question. Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, we do it all the time with almost the same phrase. We see something going on, some event, some sin close to us in our family, in the pew next to us, and we feel the pressure of, maybe I should say something. 
maybe, maybe I should do something about this. But then we also just ask the question in the back of our heads. Yeah, but am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be responsible for what's going on around me? I got my own stuff. I don't have to deal with that. It's the same question that Cain asked. And it's the same sort of thing that God calls us to not do over and over. There are lots of places that God condemns that kind of questioning that we have in our heads. Um, the most strong, which is what I'm going to turn to, is in Ezekiel chapter 3. Um, if I say to the wicked, this is God speaking. So God says, if I, God, say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning. So you ask the question, am I my brother's keeper? Nor do you speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. The wicked person will still die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he will still die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Now that blood guilt is exactly what God says to Cain after he asks the question, where is your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. That even though we like to think that the guy next to us, the family member that's doing these things, he's got his own thing and I'm just going to let him go and he's going to have to deal with God when he dies. That's what we think. That's what we think all the time. And we ask the question to get us ourselves off the hook. Hey, I'm not, I'm not responsible for what that guy does. And God says in Ezekiel 3, no, you're not responsible for what he does. You are responsible for what you say. And what you must say is you must warn the man. You must warn them that they're going to go off the end and they're going to die. And if you don't do that, the blood cries out against you. And this is not pleasant things. This isn't something we like to think. But this is the, the reality of what it is to be a child of God. That we are not like Satan who does not care for the ones who perished under his questioning. Satan did not care that Adam and Eve would die. Satan did not care that their children would die. Satan did not care that they would be cast from Eden in the presence of God. In fact, he desired that outcome. Christians, Christians, those who are in Christ, we must desire the good of those around us, which means we must warn them that God is going to judge them. And if they are not in Christ, that judgment will be eternal and horrific, and it will be in hell. And if we don't do that, we have actually not put to death our old sinful self, but we've followed in our old father. We have told ourselves the same lie. Am I my brother's keeper? It's not a good question. A few others. So in, in Numbers, which is a book that gets a hard rap, but it has some of the most interesting stories in Scripture, 
There's this thing that happens in Numbers chapter 12 where Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, rise up against him. They are upset about some things. Uh, Specifically, they're mad about uh, the fact that uh, Moses is married outside Israel and has married a dark-skinned woman named Zipporah. Um, so Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, so here's the question. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Now, remember who Miriam and Aaron are. Aaron was the mouthpiece to Pharaoh. For Moses. So when Aaron is asking the question, hasn't he spoken through us also? He has a fact to back him up. He can go, look, look, Moses didn't want to talk. I was the one who actually spoke. Miriam as well, when they get through the Red Sea, is the one who writes the song of triumph of the Lord consuming the Egyptian army. She also has spoken. Both of them have a fact behind them to ask this question. And so here's the second part of this. Our questions oftentimes are half-truths. We always have something we can point to, to say, uh, but, but it's true. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything other than, it's, you know, he did. That's all I'm trying to say. I, I did talk to Pharaoh. Moses didn't talk to Pharaoh. I did. Miriam's, I wrote the song. Moses didn't write the song. And yet the the whole point of that was to displace Moses, to cause doubt and, and, and usurp his authority in the camp. The whole point of the question was to undo Moses. And yet they had a true thing they could point to. This is also how we work a lot of times. We will point back to something we have done or said and we'll ask a question that kind of subverts the whole situation in front of us. Um, This is often done in very similar situations. So the way it's often done in churches that I've been a part of, that you've been a part of, is that the pastor or some other leader in the church will have done something not good, sinful. And he may or may not have repented of that sinful thing. And then comes the annual meeting. And there's been some talk and some bluster. And then somebody says, hey, I have a question. Is it good when you snap at someone when you're talking to them? And everyone knows the situation that he's talking about, right? And so then the pastor is trapped and he has to answer, no, it's not good. When you snap at somebody. And then all of a sudden the guy asking the question now has the upper hand. And has now overruled the guy in charge. The pastor. And that's not happening here. Just so you know. Unless it is. But I don't think that's happening here. But that's how church splits happen. Somebody finds a truth. A, an actual thing that happened. And instead of dealing openly with that thing. They hide it with a question. And then when someone goes, hey, what are you asking that question for? They go, oh, no, 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 no. See, don't, don't you remember? I'm just, 
clarifying what's going on. I'm not really trying to do anything. I'm going to give you one more. Um, and this one is, is really close to the bone. This is from John chapter 12. This is uh, Judas Iscariot, right? So Judas, you know, the one who betrayed Christ. If you'll remember, Judas is the one who held the money bags for the apostles. So he is the one who was the treasurer for, um, for Jesus and his disciples. And so this thing happens where they're at um, uh, Lazarus' home after he's resurrected from the dead. And Mary takes this um, pound of expensive ointment and breaks it and anoints Jesus, uh, his feet, and wipes it with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And then Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said, why was this? Like he turned, it's like he turns to the other guy. He's like, why wasn't this ointment sold for some money so we could give this to the poor? That's what he asks. Now, Anyone hearing that question would think, you know, that's a good point, Judas. We would think that. Now, here's this pound of ointment that just got all over the place. And, yeah, it smells nice, but it was $100 or whatever it was. You know how many meals we could buy for $100? I think Judas has a point. And Judas was hiding his actual motive with the front of being Christian, being godly. Because John tells us this. He said this, Judas did, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, they wouldn't have known that at the time. They trusted Judas until the very end. They didn't know who was going to betray Jesus. Judas had a good front of being godly. So when he asked the question... Don't you think we could have given this to the poor? Don't you think that would have been a better use of the funds? Everyone would have thought, you know, that's a, it's worth thinking about at least. It's worth at least putting on the table. But Judas was hiding a motive behind it that was wicked. Had an intent. Now I say all this because we do this sort of thing all the time too. Um... There's this, story, the, this thing that happened in the Corinthian church where this man was having his father's wife. And the Corinthian church did the same sort of thing by saying, basically, uh, isn't it great how gracious we are that we can bear with this guy who's doing this wicked thing? Um, Paul says, your boasting, the Corinthian church, your boasting is not good. What were they boasting about? Well, how kind they are not to say anything about this man who has his father's wife. And they're clapping themselves on the back, you know. We're like the most gracious church in the world. We haven't said anything to the guy who's sitting in the pew with his father's wife. And everybody knows what's going on behind closed doors. We congratulate ourselves all the time on the appearance of godliness. Even though what we're trying to hide is the actual difficult thing of doing some work of calling somebody out on sin or um, figuring out uh, what to do for God. In Judas' case, with this money and the money bag and the giving, 
Um, you know, <coughs> again, business meetings for churches are oftentimes when uh, the knives come out and the stabbing begins. And so the question will be asked, right, at some point during the meeting, yeah, but couldn't we use that money a little better? Um, and it's often asked, again, to usurp whoever they think has the power. So it could be the pastor or it could be somebody on a committee and they want to take money away from that committee. And so they'll coat it with a nice coating. Couldn't we use that for like global missions or something? We don't have a, we don't do anything for global missions and here we're spending all this money on hospitality or something, you know. And, and everyone's like, oh, you know, that's a good idea. That's, a, you know, that's worth thinking about. But really what the person wants is charge of the pocketbook. They really want to be the ones who hold the purse strings. What they're really saying is, I want to be in control. Uh, I want to know. I want to decide where the money goes. Um, you'll see this also in... Uh, some people give large gifts to the church um, with an intent like this. Um, uh, I'm going to reference some history in our church, okay? So about 30 years ago, this was happening in our church. I've read all the minutes. So just so you know, I'm reading up on you guys, checking you out. I'm reading back through all these minutes. There was a guy who was going to supply this congregation with a lot of money and a piece of land to build a church. And I've read the minutes and read between the lines. And what happened was a few of you said, it sounds as if you kind of want to tell us exactly what to do with our church. And there's more than just you who ought to be making that decision and the guy with the biggest purse strings actually shouldn't be the one controlling where that money is spent. And you did the faithful thing, a very difficult thing. You turned down hundreds of thousands of dollars from this man in the early 90s. And you said no. Why did you say no to free money? Because you knew the motive was wrong behind the money. You recognized it 30 years ago and said this is, you might not have said this exact word. You wouldn't have said, this is like Judas saying, why don't we give money to the poor? And what he really wants is the money bag. But you knew it was happening. And you were like, I'm not. What is this guy doing? And then finally, after about a year and a half of back and forth and letters and minutes and meetings, all of a sudden he just kind of disappeared out of the face of the minutes and never appeared again. And it was clear that his intent was to run the church. And we all do this sort of thing small ways. That's a big way that thankfully God protected you and you were faithful to say no to a lot of money um, because you saw the motive. So, okay, that's father of lies. That's serpent. That's garden. That's did God really say, am I my brother's keeper? You know, I've spoken too. Why are you the only one to get in charge? You know, why don't we give this money in a different way? Those sorts of questions, mixed motives, hidden motives, ungodly motives. So what are we supposed to do as Christians then? Christ has given us not just the ability to say no to ungodliness, to put our old self to death, but he's also given us newness of life, something to walk in that is good. So let's go back through those stories, those things that happened, and see what, what other questions were asked. 
So after, after the fall, when they took the fruit, they were convinced of it and they ate. God comes and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now notice God's questions. They're unveiling truth. Where are you? Show yourself. Have you eaten of the tree? They're direct. They're to the point. They're not beating around the bush. They're not trying to goad you into something. It's just, let's be honest here. What have you done? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? Why didn't you trust me? And that sort of question is a good question. The unveiling of motives. Light shining into darkness. I observed Brian Lukey. He doesn't know I'm going to talk about this. I observed Brian Lukey in court. Don't worry, I I promise I won't say anything to get you in trouble, I don't think. Um, One of the things that was extraordinarily noticeable for the one day I sat, or the one morning I sat there, was the defense attorney was asking questions to confuse, to hide, to circumnavigate the truth. Get anywhere he could other than an actual fact. That's what all these questions do. Satan in the garden, Cain, uh, Miriam and Aaron, Judas. They're all just trying to get, not necessarily far away from the truth, but just... To the side of it so that you're distracted so you don't actually see the truth. And then Brian would counter with his questions and he would just go, da 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 Is this a thing? Is this a thing? Is this a thing? Yes, yes, yes. And they were just, chunk, right to it. Let's get to the point. Find the truth. Unveiling questions. Uh, one of the things that was talked about was uh, this keeping of evidence from where it's taken into the secure facility at the police station. And the defense attorney made this whole big deal about how the guy touched it and what pocket he put it in and how he drove to the facility and where he parked and how long that would take and all this stuff. And Brian just basically said, did you follow the normal protocol of what is required by the state to collect evidence? And the guy was like, yes. Is it normal protocol for you to pick something up, put it in a pocket so that you can get back to the station so you can properly catalog it? Yes. So the guy was just like making you feel like, oh man, he didn't take that evidence, right? What are we doing here? And Brian just goes, did you, do, did you take the evidence right? Yes. Just clears the air. Those sorts of questions. So let's go to Miriam and... and uh, Aaron, with Moses, back to Numbers chapter 12. So first, God calls them out. He says, hey, Miriam, Aaron, Moses. And the three came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in vision. I speak to him in a dream. 
Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Just right to it. He does not give an ounce of get out of jail freeness. He just goes, why do you have the boldness to speak against my servant Moses? There's no hiding there. It's a direct question to motive, hiddenness, unveiling. Why? Why did you do this? Okay, so um, John, I've already kind of given the cat away. There's no question asked, but John reveals the motive. And how did they figure that motive out? Well, at some point they had to go, what happened to all the money? (laughs) Right? When Judas killed himself... Now, if somebody else has the money bag, we don't know who the next treasurer was. You know, say it's Timothy or somebody. Timothy's like, hey, hey guys, uh, can you, it, I think Judas was stealing from us. Look at, look at all this. They had to ask the question. They had to ask the question. And to the, to the point from Ezekiel when I said, you know, Uh, that we bear the blood guilt if we don't ask the question. There's this famous thing that happens in Galatia, well, in the letter to the Galatians, um, where the Apostle Paul confronts the Apostle Peter. And Peter had been eating with the Gentiles, and then some Jews came to town, he stopped eating with the Gentiles. He was doing this whole dance, and... This is what happened. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all. So he just went, all right, we're all eating here. Everyone's having a nice meal, but Peter, you're at the wrong table. You were eating with us yesterday, but now you're refusing. And so he says to Cephas before them all, if you... Peter, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He just, right to it. No beating around the bush. No hoping to try and muddle his way through it. Very direct. So here is how we can fix this problem that Satan began for us in the garden. When the curse came, when we became fathers of his lies, when we became liars. And that old nature still taunting us, still within us, where we want to hide, we want to hide the truth. The first thing we have to do is realize we have our own motives when we do things. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself about why you do the things you do. There is almost nothing you do without mixed motives. Now, it may be that 90% of those motives are good and 10% bad, but you're always doing things with mixed motives. You know, why, why did you give that money then? Why did you do that thing then and not later or not before? Was it to make a good impression in front of that person? Was it to make sure that this person saw it? Was it to make sure that this thing happened? 
We're all doing that sort of thing all the time. And that's the first big thing is to realize even as a Christian, we have this mixed motive heart going on. And that should reveal a bigger truth that is one of the harder truths that we have to figure out as Christians. It's that we, by nature, were sinners. Not we sinned, but by nature we were sinners. We had bad motives before Christ. And that leads us to think, uh, you know, Jesus said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Part of being wise as a serpent is realizing all the people around you, especially if they're outside of Christ, have bad motives for what they're doing. All of them. Everything they do has a bad motive. Because if it all had perfect motives, they would need no righteousness from Christ. If they were able to perfectly perform something with no bad motive, there would be no need for Jesus because they would be righteous. But as it stands, they're by nature sinners, and so they're all doing things with bad motive. We have to realize this about ourselves, that we have bad motives, not totally bad motives. If we're in Christ, we have good motives and bad motives mixed. And if we're outside of Christ, we have more bad motives than good motives. And that helps us to ask good questions and not bad questions, to get to the heart of things. Because our goal is to reveal the heart and conscience so that the gospel makes sense to people. Our goal is to reveal the heart, to get to it, so that people have an opportunity to see themselves in desperate need of a Savior. And the questions we ask ourselves are the same. We need to be asking ourselves, why did I do that? Why didn't I do that? Why, why would I have done it that way and not this way? And to realize we're, we're not different than each other. We all have this kind of thing stirring up inside us. And so one of the most helpful things in the church so that we can all get together to the end, to keep walking together, is to be willing to ask questions that reveal the motives of those around us. Not because the motive and the question and the person doing the sinning is condemned, but because we are in Christ and we want to reflect him. And so when we see someone doing something, we're willing to say to them, why? Why are you doing that? Why? And they might fluffle, waffle, say something, and you go, no, 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 no. Why? Why are you doing this? And we don't, like, we don't like that question. And so the best practice for being ready to do this to one another, to help each other, to see our sin, is to do it to yourself. When we confess our sins each week together, and when you confess your sins during the week, to just go, you know what? I really did mean it when I said that. I really meant it when I said you were an idiot. Now, you don't want to probably say it just like that. But you have to realize, like, when you say the words, I didn't mean that, that those are not true. That you really did half mean it. You really did think you're an idiot. And you really meant it when you thought it and said it. And that that sin, thinking it, saying it, meaning it, 
is forgiven in Christ. And so then when you're encountering someone else who says, I didn't really mean to do that, you go, no, 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 no. You did it. Why did you do it? Christ is big enough to forgive you of this. It's not as though the gospel disappears when you're honest with yourself. The gospel grows bigger. Grace gets stronger. Christ is immense when you begin to realize that all these little things, all these little things that we excuse ourselves with, these questions we get away with, are not from the Father, but are from this other guy. This guy who started the ball rolling in the, in the, in the, in the garden. They're not good. So when we think about the effects of what happened at the fall, it wasn't just Adam and Eve got thrown out of the garden. It wasn't just that we die. It's that we had a father of lies, and we followed after him. We did his stuff. And then Christ, in his kindness, is undoing that in us. That's part of the gospel. We are undoing what we formerly were. We're fixing who we once were. We're putting to death the things that we once did. And we're crushing and killing those motives by just saying, yeah, that's, yeah, that was a motive. Yeah, I I really did mean to steal, even though I said I didn't. I really really was trying to get the money bags. I really was. And you know what? God forgives people for stealing money bags. God forgives people for bad motives. And he does it all the time for us. So let's trust him in that forgiveness. We've got communion this morning.